So we're going to have a discussion now with Sarah Kaplan. Uh, Dr. Kaplan is a professor with the Rotman School of Management's Institute for Gender and the Economy at the University of Toronto. Uh, Dr. Kaplan, thank you for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. Oh, I'm glad to have this conversation. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because, you know, we're talking about pay transparency, and basically what it is is talking about what you make and asking your coworkers what they make and sort of sharing that topic, which is something that really we're taught from the age of us, you know, being very young children, that's something that you don't talk about. It's taboo, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, pay transparency has a lot of different meanings, one of which is, you know, us just sharing salaries with each other to kind of level set and it is true that, you know, the concept of money has always been something that uh, people thought maybe, at least in our Western societies, is a little bit dirty and therefore not talked about. Yeah. And so you're right. It's a, it's a, the conversation about pay transparency then kind of opens up that Pandora's box. Um, bottom line here, that whole construct that we have where we don't talk about money and we don't talk about salary employers and companies and business, they love that, right? It's perfect for them. Yes, it can be because it then uh, uh, means that they can potentially discriminate or pay differentially and people won't know about it. I think it also can undermine solidarity that could be, uh, you know, experienced amongst workers at all levels of the organization. If they aren't able to talk about those kinds of things, and some organizations have even told employees that they should not talk about those kinds of things, then you undermine the ability for uh, employees to kind of band together to kind of right some of the wrongs that you outlined at the beginning of this segment. So when we talk about this in terms of what we need to do, um, obviously it can't just be among coworkers. It needs to be something more structured. What other um, steps need to be taken when we talk about pay transparency, aside from just, you know, making sure your coworkers are all on the same page? Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of conversation now at the policy level, and we do have federal legislation now around pay transparency. And, of course, uh, for federally regulated public uh, organizations, many provinces have also had the Sunshine Law, which is a form of pay transparency in which, you know, people in those uh, government organizations who are paid over a certain amount, their salaries are published. So we already have some forms of pay transparency, and it doesn't necessarily mean that we're closing the wage gap uh, that you highlighted, but it does have some effects in that direction. Let's talk about that. Um, What are we seeing in terms of, like you say, there's sunshine lists. Uh, If you apply for a government job, the pay scale is listed before you even get into the process of being interviewed, you know, going in. So what kind of progress are we seeing in terms of, um, you know, narrowing those disparities or getting rid of those disparities with the work that we're doing? Well, for sure, when you list the pay band, when someone's applying for a job, that's extremely helpful because they know pretty much what to ask for. Uh, so it's very useful that employers do that so that you know some people are not uh, underpaid. And we do know that historically it has been hard for women to ask for higher salaries in part because when they negotiate, they're seen as unpleasant, so they experience the double bind. So those kinds of things can be very helpful. When it comes to the pay transparency that we do have so far, for example, with the Sunshine Law, some research that actually was funded out of the Institute for Gender and the Economy by colleagues of mine at the University of Toronto has shown that it did do the, the, the existence of the Sunshine Law, at least in, for university employees, has closed the gender wage gap a little bit, but not a lot. And it's closed it uh, primarily by 
um, uh, reducing the amount of increases that male colleagues are receiving so that as women get their increases, the gap is closing a little bit. So we do see a tiny little effect but it's not, uh, it hasn't closed the gap fully. Are there other jurisdictions, other countries doing a better job of this farther down the road than we are? Well, it, for example, in the United Kingdom, they have a pay transparency uh, regulation or law that requires employers, I believe, over 100, with, uh, over 100 employees to publish their gender wage gap. Of course, this is not salary by salary uh, transparency. This is just at the level of the organization. Yeah. Is there a gap? And what it has basically revealed is that there can be massive gaps. And we have uh, Canadian employers who uh, operate in the U.K. who are subject to this uh, legislation. And it's shown, for example, in some of the big banks, gaps of upwards of 30 to 60 percent. However, what that basically reveals is that the real source of the gender wage gap is not people in the same job being paid differently, but the fact that women are being channeled into lower level jobs or not getting promoted as much so that the gap is really opening up because there are just fewer women in those high paying jobs and at the senior levels of organizations. So that's basically what pay transparency to date has really revealed is really more of a gender power gap than a gender wage gap, you know, when you compare two people in the same job. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a whole other discussion. We often hear about, you know, I think in, in Canada, the, the, the stats are about 12% women would earn um, doing the same, less um, women would earn uh, doing the same job as men. But, uh, you know, that's an interesting discussion that you're raising in terms of, it's not even doing the same job, it's the fact they don't have access to the same job in a lot of cases. So that really causes the disparity. How do we address yeah, that? Yeah, it's what we call, yeah, well, that's what we call job segregation. And really, almost of that 12 cents, most of the 12 cents really has to do with the job segregation. That is, uh, women uh, being more welcomed into certain sectors that are lower paying sectors, for example, hospitality, uh, women even in high tech jobs or high tech organizations being, you know, shuffled off into the HR position as opposed to into the coder position, which is the one that makes the money. So a lot of that is really about who we expect to be in different kinds of jobs and then who we promote. And there's a lot of bias built into those systems uh, that mean that women are not reaching the highest levels of organizations. I mean, of the major companies in Canada, only 5% are being led by women CEOs. And that, 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 explained, that can begin to explain the kind of wage gap that yeah. we're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a couple of things that we're doing well, uh, the pay transparency does help, not as much as some people may think. Why is it important to have sort of the wage range posted on the job before you even get into the process? Why does that make such a big difference, you know, having it out in front? Well, it really makes a difference because if you, exactly what we were discussing about of women having historically been in potentially lower paying job sectors, if you, if they were just asking for a salary based on what they'd earned in the past, they might not understand that the job they're applying for actually pays upward, um, a much higher salary level. So having those job uh, salary ranges posted means that people who have historically been discriminated against or not had certain opportunities, and this could be women, people of color, women of color in particular, immigrant women, things like that, will know that that's the range that the organization is willing to pay. And so they won't accept the lowest salary or they won't uh, propose a salary that is below the range. So it's a way of uh, kind of evening the playing field across different applicants. Um, what else do we need to be working on? Uh, you know, I mean, a couple of topics like we're talking about wage transparency. What do we, I mean, overall, it sounds to me like we need to have more access to 
all positions. I mean, you can increase the wages or, or have more wage transparency, but like you say, that's not really the key issue anymore. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, all of those tools are important tools in the toolkit, but what we really need to do is uh, begin to think about, and, and COVID has certainly caused us to think about this, fundamentally think about job design. How are we designing jobs in ways that are ultimately excluding women and people of color from the workforce? And what that means is, you know, in the end, we have this gendered notion of who can be, who should be taking care of children or elders at home. And those responsibilities mean that people need to have more flexibility or other kinds of things. And that ends up being a really gendered experience where then the people who take those kind of flexible jobs are seen as less committed to work and, you know, because they have these home responsibilities. So, you know, if we're really going to fix the problem, we need to have equal sharing of responsibilities at home, and we need to have jobs designed so that people can manage those responsibilities. And until we do that, we're not going to really fix this problem of getting people promoted into the higher paying levels. And that's not the answer people want to hear, because it's much harder yeah. to, to do than just put in place a pay transparency law. But if we do these little fixes around the edges, we're going to take away our uh, motivation to really fix the fundamental problem, which is this, which is this issue of jobs not really accommodating all of the needs that people have as they manage their lives. Yeah, it's a it's a complex situation. Uh, interesting discussion this morning, Dr. Kaplan. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you joining us. Thank you for covering the topic. Yeah, you bet. That's Dr. Sarah Kaplan, who is a professor with the Rotman School of Management's Institute for Gender and the Economy at the University of Toronto.